In the rugged and remote Taranaki region of New Zealand runs a Waimeti stream and the isolated Manuka forests, home to the bees that produce some of the most natural, pure Manuka honey in the world. Manuka honey is a great daily immune booster, digestive remedy and an anti-inflammatory. It's also a great alternative to sugar and a powerful ingredient for longevity. Waimeti honey is a high quality New Zealand Manuka honey now available in Australia at Woolworths right around the country. And even better, every time you buy Waimeti honey, 10% of your purchase goes towards the regeneration of hive numbers to increase the world bee population. More honey, more healing, and more health for humanity. Waimeti honey, find it now in Woolworths stores right around Australia. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Damien Christoph and Dr. Brett Hill. Hey, Brett. Hey, Damo. What are you working on at the moment, mate? Well, I'm working on a few things, Damo. I'm writing a book, but what I've just finished working on is my Art of Natural Running e-course, oh. and I'm really excited about it. So, you know, I've been going around Australia doing this uh, this live course where I was teaching people how to run naturally, and uh, and what I realized was that I couldn't get around to everybody uh, and that it was hard to get around to everybody all around Australia and even outside of Australia, people who wanted to learn about how to run naturally and how to run it more easily, how to make it more fun and how to get less injuries. And so I decided to put it all together into e-course, which is about five and a half hours worth of video content. Oh, far out. That's unbelievable. Where do people find it? So they can find it at theartofnaturalrunning.com and they'll be able to hear not just from me, but from experts like Danny Dreyer from Chi Running. We've got Kim Morrison. We've got Kelly Starrett from Mobility Ward. And we've even got a guy called The Barefoot Podiatrist, who's my favorite. Good bloke. <laughs> so theartofnaturalrunning.com. Hi, this is Damien Christoph. And this is Brett Hill. Hello, mate. G'day, buddy. G'day. Good weekend. Both right. both football teams won. Always oh. a good chirpy podcast after that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. What's it like not being on the top of the ladder? I don't know. These days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good feeling. It's a great feeling when your team wins. Oh. Especially when they knock off Adelaide, isn't that? Isn't it a great feeling to knock off Adelaide? Oh, mate, by, by five points in the last 20 seconds of the game. Yeah. The new recruit kicking the goal. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a majority female audience listening to this show, Damo, and I know that they just love football and they're riveted <laughs> by these footballing conversations we have at the start. I know. Riveted. Riveted. But, you know, it gives them insight into what we are really about, uh, which is good times, good fun, smiles and laughter, and good health at the same time. And we're meeting with a guy today, uh, Jamin Fraser, who's got his own podcast, by the way, The Insecurity Project. And you should check that out, The Insecurity Project. He's quite an engaging guy, and he talks about being um, a, a, a Christian pastor at, at some point in yeah. his life. He talks about being a coach. He talks about um, helping people overcome their insecurities. It's a really fascinating chat. Yeah, and I will spell his name in the show notes. But just for those who are wanting to Google him now, it is J-A-E-M-I-N. So I just thought I'd let people know because people are going to go look for his website later on when we mention it. Mm. And they'll be like, how do I spell that? So I'll just put that in there. But he is great, fascinating guy. Um, You know, I think uh, he looks like such a young guy, but I think maybe he's not quite as young as he looks. He's just obviously looked after himself well. Like you and and me. 
he's had a, exactly he's had a fair bit of life experience and uh, he had some good things to say some interesting things to say about insecurity about people's limiting beliefs of feeling they're not good enough mm. um, which I know you know I can definitely relate to that I think most people can relate to that so there's some really good gems in there I think for people to hear and understand in order to help them overcome some of those limiting beliefs yeah I agree I agree so he has written a few books and we talk about those in the podcast and uh, and and obviously he's on the speaking circuit he's got a TEDx coming up and so he's quite well regarded and a lot of people like his ideas and a lot of people like his thoughts and I reckon there'll be a lot of people listening to this particular podcast that will get a lot out of this one Brett let's get into it shall we Hey, uh, we're joined by a really interesting fellow. I was recommended to him a few by a few people in the space of a few short days. And a big shout out to James and Megan Ferguson because they'll be listening to this podcast, I'm sure of it. And they'll be busting to hear from uh, this guy, Jamin Fraser, who seems to be taking the world by storm. He's doing some great things uh, both at a corporate level. I've just noticed that he's being accepted for a TEDx talk. He's, uh, he's got some big things happening. Jamin, thanks so much for joining us in today's call. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Jamin, it's an interesting thing. Um, lots of people uh, start talking about uh, new talent and then often they just disappear. We, we don't hear from them anymore, but you're not like that. In the space of a couple of weeks, I heard from half a dozen people really quickly highly endorsing the work that you were doing, saying, you've got to listen to this guy, you've got to listen to this guy. So I, <laughs> I searched, I did the Google search, went to you know all the different places, found all this information on you, and you seem to be turning the world upside down. And in a really fascinating way, because so many people these days are kind of holding themselves back from their success um, because of what you say is insecurity. Tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Okay, sure. Uh, so, look, I uh, I inherited uh, the running of a church when I was 23 years old. I'd grown up in a, in a traditional Christian setting and that was a big part of my world. And uh, at 23, the leadership team thought it was a great idea to appoint me as a senior leader to a, a church. So uh, it was kind of a baptism of fire into people and leadership and <laughs> a whole bunch of complexity. Literally, yeah. yeah not, uh, not a bath of water, uh, right. a baptism of fire. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, interestingly, like about four weeks into that journey, I discovered that we were trading insolvently as well. We had a Christian school and a daycare oh. centre and uh, so there's a whole bunch of financial pain and misery associated with that role of leadership too. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of my journey for 10 or 12 years and uh, I, was, I was probably a decent pastor but a frustrated one a lot of the time primarily uh, around the conversations in the change space you know because in the in the christian faith people are looking to improve themselves they're looking to get, live good lives they're looking to be good people and so really dealing with the stuff that stops them doing that is a is a common conversation especially as a pastor uh, but i'd watch people consistently outsource the change work to god so you know, if I show uh, if I show up the church and you know do the Christian thing, then somehow God will magically zap me and fix all my dysfunction. If it's know, meant to be, fix my then marriage. God will show me yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And so this really passive approach to change, and the idea of responsibility and choice and self awareness, just they were not words that were freely thrown around. Uh, you know, so when I got exposed to the coaching skill set uh, by a guy who was mentoring me, I just fell in love with it. And it was just this instant moment of, my goodness, where has this been? Uh, so I signed up and did some training straight away. And uh, it was literally 
you know, day one of the training and I, I just thought, right, this is it. You know, rang my wife, told her I was going to quit my job. Uh, I was also doing some school chaplaincy at the time and I was going to quit my job and launch into this coaching business. And she she cried, um, not happy tears, uh, the other kind of tears, uh, you know, just the, the pain of, oh, my goodness, here we go again. What are you going to do now? Yeah. Uh, but I just thought, this is me. This is just what I was trying this this missing piece um so i guess we make it work told the school principal when i came back i was quitting and he called me an idiot about four times thought that was the craziest thing he'd ever heard especially in a little town like goulburn i was going to do coaching wow okay um but you know you put yourselves in these positions where you have to find a way and necessity is the mother of all invention and so i, I found a way somehow and i uh, ended up creating this six-week program for employment agencies to deal with their most long-term unemployed clients uh, to deal with their non-vocational barriers to work and I just thought I reckon this stuff applies to people who are really stuck uh, as much as it does to people who are operating at peak performance as well so sold this program to an employment agency locally and before I knew it I was also running it in two neighboring towns um and then I kind of got the idea that every employment agency in the state needed this program and, and I could train coaches to run this program. So in quite a short amount of time, kind of multiplied myself and, uh, you know, created this program. And so that was a, a pretty crazy ride because I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I, I was good at the coaching stuff, but the, the managing the business side of things and training other people and, getting it all sorted, uh, the back end was so messy. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, some pretty hectic times. And I uh, ended up going to another a partnership with another coach and kind of solid it up a bit and, um, yeah, kept working in that space for so, four or five years. So, Jamin, I mean, one of the things you talk about a lot is insecurity. And it seems that a lot of people have this limiting belief that they're not good enough to be able to go out and do these kind of radical changes and create their own business and do all these sort of things. And it it seems to me that that's not a challenge that you have. So where did you get this self-confidence to be able to just, you know, dump your job and go out and back yourself in to make it on your own? Such a good question uh, because it was a key part of this coach training that really addressed that insecurity for me. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the spiral dynamics model, uh, Chris Cowan, Don Beck, or seven levels of living is another term for. Is that a model you've seen before? Not me, no. No. Uh, anyway, just it talks about the levels of consciousness we get to grow through. And um, the long story short, I was making a transition from level four, which is system, which is, you know, working for the men in a, in a standard job there's uh you know superannuation you think about retirement to level five which is entrepreneur and it really is such a personal development step because you're asking these questions do i have what it takes to actually make it work in the real world do i have any real value to offer and um, or should i just let someone else take the lead and just serve someone else's vision so that was the key part of my coach training answering that very question and working out what it was that i had inside me and uh, you know whether it was worth having a crack or not and I, I, I still have to this day uh, two rings on my hands and uh, one of those rings is a visual reminder I made to my wife uh, 19 years ago and every time I look at that I'm reminded about that commitment you know to be married to that beautiful woman but then I have a ring on my left hand which is a visual reminder of a commitment I made to myself 
uh, eight years ago as part of this coach training to go, okay, Jamin, uh, no one is going to be served by you playing it safe and small. Uh, it's time to give yourself permission to go and bring your best and to stand up and be heard. And so that was a very key process in overcoming my insecurity and really get into the depths of that inadequacy story, which I'd always grown up with. I was always, uh, you know, playing it safe and small and worried about what others thought of me. What are, the, what are those conversations um, that people have? Because, you know, for people who identify with this, they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of insecure. Oh, that could be the reason why I'm not succeeding or why everyone else is, you know, leapfrogging me in, in business or leapfrogging me in the in whichever world that they're in. What, what are those conversations that people have, Jamin? What are you familiar with there? In the coaching space, do you mean? Yeah, but, you know, the conversations people have with themselves, the self-limiting belief. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time people are not aware of the conversations they're having. That's that's a big observation. Uh, the self-awareness around what is holding them back is not there. So they actually don't think it's insecurity, really. Often they think it's lack of opportunity or they're continually comparing themselves to what other people are doing and, uh, they're not really aware of the fact that inside there is this limiting story around the fact that at the core level they fear that they're not good enough. Um, when Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry, Jamie. I was going to ask about that because, you know, I read something the other day that suggested that it was either 70 or 80% of people have this same core limiting belief, which is this I am not good enough limiting belief. And, and I found that amazing. I found that an extraordinarily high number. Uh, but then when I sort of thought about it, it didn't really surprise me either. And so I guess my question about for people who've got this core limiting belief of, of I'm not good enough, you know, and they've probably developed that from a really young age. You know, they often talk about, you know, before the age of seven is when we develop a lot of these sort of Definitely. beliefs. And so yep. if someone's got this belief that I'm not good enough, you know, is that something that we can try and undo or reverse or is it kind of a bit more like you know feel the fear and do it anyway that, that it's always going to be there and it's just a matter of working through it and past it well i think the second approach is is the common approach people are really when they think about change they jump to behavior management it's just right what i'm going to do is i'm just going to try harder i'm just going to stop it i'm just going to force myself i'm just going to get it done and for whatever reason that just seems to make so much sense to people I think we value self-discipline really highly when it comes to change. Um, but I think that those strategies never bring about lasting change. And I'm convinced it is possible to get to the bottom of this story and to rework it. Uh, and that's consistently what I see happen with people rather than just trying to, as you say, you know, mask it, medicate it, just push on anyway. It's like driving the car with a handbrake on. Like you can do it. Um, not good for the car, not good for fuel efficiency, you're not going to go very fast. It is possible to keep driving, but to me it would make much more sense to take the handbrake off. So it's definitely possible to get to the bottom of that story and, and actually eradicate it completely. Oh, that's good That's good to know because uh, there'll be people out there, you know, wanting to, you know, nail this thing that's holding them back. So um, where do people start with this sort of stuff, Jamin? Are they, uh, is it important for people just to – do they have to go through a – I suppose, a detachment phase? Do they need to, um, you know, acknowledge that there's these limiting beliefs, this, uh, you know, kind of self-sabotage component to their lifestyle that's holding them back? Or, or can they just push on and go, okay, well, that was me before and now this is me now? What, what, what do they have to do? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there is a really clear process to, to do this well. And, and it's probably like any area of life that you try to improve your results in. I think 
we live in a world where people have solved problems in key areas and all you really need to do to find success in that area is to find the person who solved the problem you know observe their framework and be willing to submit yourself to that framework and stay in that space until it works you know i love the barefoot investor for that reason i think it's just a high quality framework from a guy who's found a way to make it work make it work um so i look at insecurity absolutely and and we've i've seen great fruit of that framework in my own life because i've stuck to it um and I think insecurity is just the same as how I approach it in my coaching. There has to be a process. There has to be a well-worked framework to solve this specific problem. How do you overcome this fear of inadequacy? So, you know, to answer your question, I think it, I think it really starts by uh, this honesty and this willingness to come out of hiding. You know, most people are running away from that fear. They're doing everything they can to avoid ever coming face-to-face with it. They're cramming their life full of so many things to prop up their neediness or their fear that they're not good enough. They're, they're doing so much to try and, try and validate themselves and uh, prove they're okay. And I think change actually starts by stopping that run and just go, okay, I'm going to be honest and realize that there is this fear and it is a big part of my world and I'm not going to run away from it anymore. It's time to actually journey into this pain, not away from it. Um, which is a scary thing to do, but a, a, it's a non-negotiable, I think, in terms of the change process. Yeah, I love that, Jamin. I think that is that last point is such an important one. Um, you know, I a, a number of years ago, I recognized this sort of belief within myself, this I'm not good enough belief, uh, and that I okay. carried that with me for a very long time. And so um, this is a bit sort of a, with a big part of my journey. I'm actually writing about it in my book just at the moment, actually. And oh, what wow. I ended up doing was realizing that it was something that I'd been running away from. Like I'd been kind of just trying to avoid it for the longest period of time. And yeah, sure. what I ended up actually doing was sitting down and writing a list of things where I felt I wasn't good enough. And so <laughs> I sat down and I just wrote this list and said, okay, let's let's confront it. <laughs> let's actually look into this. And I wrote down all of the ways that I felt like I wasn't good enough. And it was really it was quite a confronting list. Like it was really um, virtually everything in my life where I kind of went, wow, um, this is actually how I feel. And, uh, but the, but the element of just that brutal honesty of actually just bringing it to the fore was incredible. Like just being able to actually see it and say, okay, this is the belief I've been having. Yeah. Is it true? Is it not true? Which parts of it are not true? Which parts of it are true? What can I do about it? What do I want to do from here? Like it was, it was that element of honesty that allowed me then to start actually trying to find a solution as opposed to just glossing over it. Is that what we're talking about? Just being sort of brutally honest about it. One hundred percent. And and I think the role of coach in this is similar to the role of a parent when a child has an irrational fear. You know, kids are afraid that there's a monster in the cupboard or a monster under the bed. But they're not actually afraid that there is a monster under the bed. They're afraid of the thought of the monster under the bed because they've never actually looked. So mm. it is the role of the parent to go, all right, let's turn the light on and, and let's be honest about this. Let's actually have a look under the bed. And if there is a monster, well, we're going to need to do something about that. But if there's not a monster, then you can go back to sleep. And so I think that's that's this process. It's like, okay, well, let's not just build up this the thought of inadequacy. I wonder if I'm no good. I, I couldn't imagine ever facing that. And stop that run and go, okay, righto, I do feel like I am inadequate. That is a thing. Let's deal with that. Let's face up to that. So it's, it's exactly as you described it. 
Oh, that's so good. I'm liking that. And then uh, in your in your program, um, obviously that identifies it and addresses all that. But uh, in your books, because you've written quite a few books actually, and uh, and I really like that. I'd like to go through and just talk about your books. But uh, in your books, can people find that sort of uh, guidance, that sort of help to assist them in moving through that kind of challenge? Yeah, they can. So the elegantly simple solutions to complex people problems, uh, you know, really is a clear presentation of how to how to work through this. And you know, like you say, the stats say that seventy or eighty percent of people are really limited by this fear. And I think the twenty or thirty percent who are not limited by it are not the people who've never been limited by it, but are the people who've found a way to to work through it. Um, you know, because I think we imagine our problems are really as really complicated and unique, and we're the only one who battles with what we do. Uh, but that's just that can't be true. There are there are common challenges to each of us as human beings, and so the way forward is never actually uh, complicated. It's just simple and hard. Uh, so yeah, there there are very much clear frameworks and processes to help a person do this specific work and solve the insecurity problem in their life. I love that. I love what you just said then is it's not complicated. It's just simple and hard. And I think that's true simple and hard, yeah. so much stuff in health and wellness. You know, when we talk about diet, we talk about exercise, we talk about, you know, all those other facets for health and well-being. So often it is doing the simple things really well that gets us the results. But as you said, it isn't necessarily easy. So I love that. That sounds great. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your 10-minute guide to setting up a winning week because that sounds great. Just 10 minutes and we're going to have a winning week. How so tell, tell us a little bit about that. How do we go about setting up a winning week in just 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah, well, I, again, it's a framework. I, I love frameworks and I think frameworks solve problems. Uh, and so I thought about my life in terms of I, I can operate my life on the level of each day. I can plan a day at a time or I could think about a year at a time uh, or a month at a time. And I kind of worked through, you know, the micro to the macro on what chunk of time worked best for me. And I thought setting up a week at a time just feels really good. It feels like that's enough that I don't have to be focused on every single detail, but it's not so far down the, the, the future that I can't change it. Um, so I thought, yeah, all right, I reckon there are going to be some key things that even if nothing else happens in my week and I can knock these over, then that's going to be a good week and I'm going to feel like that is moving me closer to the life I want to live and is really adding value to my life. So, yeah, there are seven things in there that I think uh, for me because everything that I say, like I'm non-negotiable about smoking what I'm selling. Um, if it's not working for me, then why would I imagine anyone else would find value in it? So. All this stuff has been is out of the overflow of what is working for me. Um, yeah, so seven things that that I make sure are the big things that I put into my week before anything else happens. Um, yeah. And and so, can you give us a clue? Because there's a lot of people who go oh, hanging yeah. on, going, <laughs> "What are those seven things, Jamie? Come on, let us know. We'll we'll still get your book. Yeah, but yeah just for tell sure. Us. Oh no, for sure. Okay, so, so some of them. Um, so making space for key relationships is one that is that is really important. It's, people are busy. Yeah, There's a whole, whole bunch of stuff love running. It. So it's like I, I stop and I think, hang on, who are the people in my world who I am actively uh, pursuing and connecting with? Who, who are the life-giving people in my world and how do I nurture those relationships? So I just make sure that I have I've factored in fun and connection with key people in my world. So, all right, who, who's coming over for dinner this week? Um, you know, am I going running with anyone? Nice. Is there footy with the boys happening? Is there a bonfire anywhere I can see on my calendar? Like, oh, I've got a bit of land and, and it's coming into winter. And so, um, 
you know, having a few beers with some friends down by the creek, uh, it, uh, you know, it doesn't have to happen. If I'm not intentional about planning that, it's easy to go, oh, it's cold, I'm tired, there's nothing else on. But if I've factored into the calendar, I've sent out some invites, um, those are the moments that are just so rich and valuable. And no matter what else is happening in my world, if, I, if I've got stuff like that, then um, – you know, I know it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so that's one. Another key one is strategic meetings. So with key stakeholders, uh, and and I think primarily my key stakeholders. My wife is definitely a key stakeholder, and my kids are key stakeholders. We're doing life together. Nice. Now I I can't tell each of them we're having a strategic meeting because even that language just doesn't is not conducive <laughs> to that. But to make sure that my wife and I each week. We have set aside time to just talk about what is happening in our world, where where we're heading, you know, because it's easy to miss that stuff, to just flow on and, you know, life just happens. But, uh, you know, I value her input and her relationship and I want to do life well with her, so I've got to make time to listen and to check in and to be strategic. So I've found that time with her doing those strategic meetings works best when we're walking. And um, this is the dynamic of being side by side rather than eyeballing each other. That's nice. Um, do you hold hands? Side by walking, side. Do you, have, do you have hand cuddles when you when you? Uh, yeah, we we do like to yeah. hold hands. Actually, nice. we're still there. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's nice. Oh. Damien and I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. That's, 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 but even <laughs> even with the kids, making sure I have strategic meetings for them. Obviously, I can't tell my 13-year-old daughter I'm having a strategic meeting with her, but making sure <laughs> there's a chance to have real conversations with her each week um, just so I'm checking in, um, hearing how my parenting is affecting her, yeah. I'm noticing the points of pain in her world, what she's excited about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, things like that. So there's, yeah, seven of those kinds of things that I've uh, make a big difference for me. Yeah, I like that. I like those two. So we, we're getting some good connection with the quality people in our life. Um, and I think it's really important to add those. And I like the fact you've put them at the start. You know, they're not the last thing you add into the week, but they're the first thing you add into your week. And so you're, you're making sure you're prioritizing those important things, which is great. So where do you go from there in your week? You know, you've got you've got two down. What's, what's number three? Yeah, so morning rituals are very important for me and making sure that I've factored them in to my week so i'm thinking about okay uh, how am i going to start my day and those days differ but i want to start each day well i think um, there's a lot of research done around the high achievers and the, the first things they do in the day seem just to make a massive difference as opposed to those who don't achieve great things um, then they're not starting the day well at all yeah. I'm, I'm sure you guys would relate to that yeah, absolutely. We've got a mate actually who um, who's very, very diligent with regards to he, the way in which he sets up his day. And sometimes I look at it and I go, "Oh my gosh!" Like, but what about your family? What about you know? What about um, your wife? What about your kids? Like, do, do, because you're so rigid with your thing, does that allow flexibility for the family and when things might go wrong or don't work out very well? And does that derail you? So, um, you know, there's some people who who feel that. You know that flexibility is is as important as having um, you know some kind of regimented uh, routine that they have through the day. But there's other people that go, well, this is my routine, and unless I abide by this routine, my whole day is going to go pear shaped. How do you find balancing that? Yeah, well, one of the things that 
uh, enables me to have good flexibility is that my life is not jammed, packed, full of stuff. I, I took a sabbatical year uh, five years ago now and worked out how to get a rhythm of rest when I when I re-entered the workplace. Um, so I only work uh, up to 24 hours a week spread over seven days now and I have a rhythm of rest. So every day I have uh, high energy and low energy um you know, full engagement and low engagement. So, you know, that, that creates a high level of flexibility with my time as well to make sure that uh, I'm able to adjust what I need to do to, to fit in with what the family's doing, what other people are doing, rather than if I've got every minute set aside already, well, then there's no possible chance for me to shift or, or someone else's stuff then really knocks me off course and I'm in trouble. Yeah, nice. Bit of uh, been a pivot on a on a two cent piece or a dime. That's great. Yeah, nice, Jamin. It's been great to have a chat with you. And I know that a lot of people listening to this podcast will want to find out more about you. Your books uh, look fantastic. Elegantly simple solutions to complex people problems. I think that's really it's a complex title for a book that's going to you know, <laughs> simplify your life. I think it's really good. The ten minute guide to setting up a winning uh, week, which is an ebook people can get from your website. Um, the overcoming security flow chart. You've set up a whole lot of things, but I've Obviously, you've researched and you've looked at, um, I suppose, the success principles of of other um, coaches, the world's best coaches, and you've actually got another thing, another book called The 12 Game-Changing Principles Used by the World's Best Coaches. So you're in this. This is your lifeblood. You know it back to front, and I think a lot of people get a lot from, you know, your wisdom. And so they can go to your website. Is that right? JaminFraser.com. Yeah, that's right. If they can work out how to spell it, then yeah, there's lots <laughs> of interesting resources on there. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes if you can't work out how to spell Jamin. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes so you can go and check out that. But Jamin, thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We'll have to get up to the Goulburn for a uh, for a bonfire. That sounds fantastic. Yes, come on. I love the sound of that. We'll pencil that in, make that uh, one yes. of the, the things for the week to be done. Excellent. Thanks so much, guys. It's been a treat. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of The Wellness Guy Show. We hope you love the new feel. Remember to continue to interact with us and tell us what you thought of this and other episodes. Please head to facebook.com forward slash thewellnessguys and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. This is the way that we get to share our message with the world. For more information about Bredo and all that he's up to, please head to drbredhill.com.au. And to find out more about me, head to damienchristoff.com. Until we meet again, continue to bring wellness into your life and we'll join you next time on The Wellness Guy Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.